You know, we have uh, people visit the farm a lot, and they're they're you know they're people, good people that came by because they got that interest, and we we very seldom have an asshole, and, and they they always say really nice things, and we appreciate hearing it. But about a uh, high percentage of the time, what it, it goes like this, and the last part really wounds me. They'll say, uh, "Oh, I." really appreciate what you're doing. I like what you're doing for the land and for the animals and for the local community, but what can you do to get it in the hands of the poor people that, that really need it? And it just flies all over me. You're taking two of the worst problems humanity has faced in modern times, which is a broken food supply and wealth disparity either one of which is super difficult to fix. And you just put the two together and handed it to me to fix. And it just pisses me off. So my, my, my response is, I agree with you. That is a tremendous problem. I'd love for everybody to be able to eat good food like we produce. But you handle that part about getting it to them. I got all I can do with this fixing the broke food system. This whole economic disparity thing is not in my wellhouse, wheelhouse. You, you handle that part. And, and you, we'll never fix it if we try to put the two complex problems together. You got to divide and conquer. Welcome to Where Hope Grows, a podcast curated to tell the inspiring stories of land stewards, ranchers, and farmers who are on the front lines of the regenerative revolution. Interweaved with wisdom inspired by Mother Nature, these journeys are testaments to her capacity for how regenerative agriculture can nourish our bodies, rebuild our soil, and restore our future. Hey everyone, this is Taylor Collins, and you are listening to Where Hope Grows. This podcast is made possible by the support of Force of Nature, Rome Ranch, and of course, the grace and beauty of Mother Nature. I am so pumped to share today's episode with you guys. This one is one of my all-time favorites. It's going to be in the Where Hope Grows Hall of Fame, along with every other episode. Um, the reason that this episode is so special is because I get to sit with some of my most cherished favorite people on the planet. These people are land stewards. They have devoted their entire lives to building soil, to restoring rural economies, to healing ecosystems. And their stories are incredible. Their perspectives are very inspiring. And I think you guys are going to love it. Today's episode is a live recording of a panel that I got to moderate. And this panel took place in the spring at the first annual What Good Shall I Do conference. Now this conference was created by our friends at Force of Nature with the intention to bring together ranchers, farmers, researchers, teachers, government officials, conscious consumers, and really give them an immersive three days of education, networking, planning, and action around regenerative agriculture. Now, on this panel, I got to speak with absolute legends in the regenerative agriculture community, one being Will Harris, who is the fourth generation land steward at White Oak Pastures, the other, Austin Dillon, a young buck from counterculture beef, 
and then a lovely lady named Gobby Hathaway, who established and built the livestock program at Caney Fork Farms in Carthage, Tennessee. This panel is curated with the hopes of connecting conference attendees, which are over 400 people, to the brilliant work of land stewards adopting regenerative practices to produce food. We kick this panel off by talking about the current state of chemical industrial agriculture, what it looks like and how it's degrading our natural resources. We then pivot and we talk about how regenerative grazing can actually heal and restore the damage that we've previously inflicted upon our landscapes. We also spend time exploring stories from their ranches, discuss what it means to be connected to a greater ecosystem, as well as celebrating the wisdom that each and every one of these ranchers has. Ultimately, we end with what their legacies are going to be for future generations, and it's super inspiring. So without further ado, Enjoy the episode. And I need Will Harris. Oh, Will Harris, you're on this panel. Did you know that? Austin, I see you out there. You get your ass in here. What kind of conference can you just tell everyone to get their asses in here? <laughs> yeah, so much swearing on stage. We should have prefaced this whole event with, you're hanging out with filthy-mouthed ranchers. And, and speaking of a filthy-mouthed rancher, look who just rolled in. Okay, this next panel, we might need a translator because we have southern Georgia and we have East Texas. You're about to see what's up with East Texas accents. And now we're going to be talking with the heroes of the grasslands, the people that have devoted their entire lives and existence to restoring soil, working alongside Mother Nature, they probably identify more comfortably with animals and humans, but that's what we love about these people. And so uh, let's kick it off. Please, why don't each of you tell me who you are, where you're from, and what you do. My name is Austin Dillon. I'm in Nacogdoches, Texas. That's about five hours northeast of here, almost to uh, Louisiana. A buddy of mine says I'm a lunatic, Cajun, redneck, something, I forget, but... Uh, he said it right, uh, Taylor did, that we probably associate more with the animals uh, than people. And I think that's, that's our success because we are actually part of the system that most of us are seeking to reconnect with. And it's, it's much more than a system, right? It's life. And so uh, over there we raise, I call them bulletproof animals. We do cows, goats, and sheep. And we're doing what the vets say that we can't do. We're raising them without dewormer. We're raising them without grain, without any other poisons, any other medicine that they say we need, any antibiotics. Basically, if they can't make it on my land with what my land provides, we raise our own hay, then they either get eaten or nature kills them. And it's very simple. So we've removed the wolves from the landscape. And so we've got to become the wolves again and coal if we want to move out of this major mess that we've made. And so my motto is no grain, no poison, no bullshit. I like that. I haven't heard this much swearing on a stage at a conference before. <laughs> 
It's good. It's a good thing. Um, I'm Gabrielle Hathaway, or Gabby, as a lot of you know me. Um, I hail from Iowa, and uh, um, a little a little green dot in a sea of monoculture corn and soybeans. Um, and I started dairy farming there on an organic dairy farm and was sort of just blessed to enter the world of regenerative agriculture from a young age. And it's been my passion ever since. And I've studied it in college. And over the past six years, I've done a lot of what Austin just talked about, raising cattle, sheep, and pigs, and the ways that my professor said you couldn't do it, and the neighbors rolled their eyes at. And um, uh, yeah, just really passionate about raising animals in a, in a way that's good for the humans and bringing humans together around that food and creating community with the farm. My name is Jenny Harris. I'm a 33-year-old lesbian mother of Jack Harris. You know, I've gained a little weight somewhere in my daddy's clothes. But, uh, my daughter Jenny is supposed to be here, and she is uh, one of the southern directors that runs White Oak Pastures, which is our farm in Georgia. Some of y'all probably here yesterday. Uh, sorry she's not here, but I'm glad I am. So, uh, yeah, you've already heard about White Oak Pastures, so we good. Thanks for filling in, Will. That's Will Harris, not Jenny. He's just kidding. Austin, um, let's just get grounded with the current state of industrial agriculture. Um, how did we get in the mess that we're in today? And how are we gonna get out of it? We definitely got into the mess we're in today by not caring. That's very simple. Uh, or caring about the wrong things, I should say. We've been very focused and are still focused on the cheapest thing, on producing the cheapest possible thing. That's why Walmart's so popular. And we're just now learning to really care about the creativity that nature has. And kind of like Zach talked about yesterday, so eloquently put that, uh, you know, Mother Earth is alive and that we all come up out of her. And, and for me, you know, I got Christian views and it all, all of this makes so much sense because it goes back to the very beginning of God creating Adam and Eve and he gave them a charge. He said, I, I created this beautiful earth. He showed them what a garden looked like and they were supposed to expand the garden among all the wilderness. So take authority, have dominion over the animals, over the birds, over every single thing and multiply, have a family and take over and be good stewards. That's what we all want to be. And we have said no to that over and over and over again. So the way out of that is each of us individually taking that step on our land and in our lives, the next step, because we want to be, sometimes I look at a place like White Oak Pastures and I go, damn, that's amazing. You know, like I wish I had however many head of animals they've got. I mean, ridiculous. Um, and I, I love it. And I'm like, I want to be there, but I'm right here. And the only thing I can do is keep taking the next step. And that's what we've been doing for the past 15 years is taking the step out of the conventional ag and into a way that works with nature and heals nature. And so it's pretty simple. Does it work with the land or does it hurt it and neglect it and abuse it? And that is kind of your ticker to know which way you need to go. 
Yeah, Gabby. So well, consumers are disconnected from their food sources. I think there's a crazy statistic like 99% of people have never been to a ranch or a farm that they've ever purchased product from. And so could you help paint the picture, represent what does industrialized animal agriculture look like? And then how does that compare to what we're celebrating here at this event, which is regenerative, co-collaborative animal agriculture? Yeah, um, I'd say that industrialized agriculture looks good on paper. It looks organized. It has outputs and inputs and forgets about the diversity of nature. So whether or not you're looking at pigs in a confined feeding animal operation um, or cattle in a feedlot or chickens in a, in a birdhouse, it's... Um, it's very efficient for the humans, but very unfortunate for the animals. Um, and I think that when um, you go so far as to completely remove the animals from the land, you're removing the people from the animals as well. And they can't get through the doors to see how their food's being raised. And you separate that, that, that relationship that used to be so close um, in, our, in our backyards and in our front yards. And... Um, I think that once people start thinking about where their food's coming from, they start looking at the way that the, the food that they've been eating is, is affecting everything else in their lives. And, and I think that everyone coming out here and, and getting a little bit closer to the, the meal that um, they're eating and, and the land it comes from, starts, it, it has a generative effect on on your days and and your conversations jenny would you have stayed on the farm become the fifth generation land steward at white oak pastures if your dad would have stayed industrially well my dad did stay industrialized uh, you know i fought and i farmed industrially for 20 years and uh and my my motivation for Changing was not financial. We 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 were doing. We were comfortable in the industrial model. Uh, I I simply got uh, tired of the excesses of that production system. And and you know when I when I when I stepped out of that model, uh, it, it was really poorly planned. I wasn't headed towards anything. I basically just quit doing shit I didn't like. And it <laughs> over over not 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 overnight, but pretty quick. But uh, and it, it just changed the model completely. I I later learned, figured out that uh, the difference was that you know for in, in that model it's all about efficiency, and what I was craving was resiliency, and I think efficiency and resiliency are like the antithesis of each other. And uh, I'm not saying we should not try to be efficient, but if, when efficiency becomes the driving force of all decisions, it's not a good deal. So, so would, would Jenny, uh, Jody, Jack, the rest of the family still be on the farm today, do you believe, if you hadn't have made that transition? I'm, I'm pretty positive that that Jenny and my, my two, uh, two of my three daughters came back. One, one married poorly, yeah. <laughs> but the two that married well came back. 
And uh, uh, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't. You know, I, I talked yesterday about how all I ever wanted to do was run white oak pastures. That's all I ever wanted to do. <clears throat> and my daughters were not raised that way. You know, they were raised on the farm, but you know, it could have been on a cul-de-sac somewhere. You know, they were you know, dancing lessons and piano lessons and soccer, and you know, they, they weren't raised to run white oak pastures like I was. And so I would not have expected them to come back. And, uh, but it, yeah, it, it, they found it pleasing the way we changed it. The first time I, I met Will, I asked him about his family and his daughters, and he told me that one did not marry appropriately. And he said that if uh, he went to the doctor and the doctor said, you have 30 days to live, Will, you have cancer, that his son-in-law would have 29 days to live. <laughs> oh, my God. How horrifying is that? Good thing Will is healthy. Okay, uh, Austin, uh, we kind of painted the picture of the industrial agriculture model when it comes to animals and livestock and the horrors of that. But what's the flip side? What does uh, industrial plant-based agriculture look like? Uh, people are shockingly disconnected from that. And then what does regenerative plant-based agriculture look like? So industrial, uh, conventional plant-based agriculture would be very simple, death and degradation. You know, if I just sum it up in two words, is the soil's dead for one, and then any animal that comes up to eat the crop is dead too, and then they're raising crops that are dead, three. The only way they're living is by water and NPK, right? The three nutrients that they pump them full, uh, synthetic nutrients, so they're not even, shouldn't be called nutrients in my book, but uh, that's what they do. Y'all know about the tillage and all that. You've heard about that. And so they're destroying the soil and they're destroying humans at the same time. And yet we've all been fed by it too. So it's, it's been beneficial. People have not been starving but we've been starving with our bellies full. And now we're seeing it with uh, all the sick people in the world. And I think that's why we're here. Um, so regenerative, what's that look like? Uh, someone actually asked me this question a minute ago as a precursor, so that was sweet. Uh, to me, I'm, I just see more life. That's it, it's regeneration. But I've always been told that you can't do it this way that you've got to use all the chemicals, you got to do this and that. I live in a subtropical area in East Texas. Like, I mean, it's damn near swampy. And we get 40 plus annual average, average annual inches of rainfall a year. And animals come to East Texas to die. I mean, really, the parasites just straight kill them. So all people raise there is cows. I raise sheep and goats and cows, so I'm a lunatic. And all anyone's ever told me is if you're gonna raise them, put them on a deworming schedule. I tried that and I had piles and piles of dead goats and sheep. So I, I have fought with the goats for 15 years, but this is a, a testament to what regenerative ag can do. About three years ago, I said, ah, we've done plenty of species, uh, you know, cows and goats. And, you know, I had a few chickens and stuff. I said, it's time to add a new species to the farm. So we got sheep. I went and got them from a guy who'd been line breeding for about 20 plus years. He had been, uh, you know, raising up his rams, breeding back, so grass-fed, no grain, all this stuff. And I thought, oh, man, this is it, Till I find out for the past few years he'd been doing soybean holes and started deworming again because he was getting older and just uh, lazy is kind of how he described it. So I brought him back and transitioned him. I lost 40% the first year, dropped dead within about 20 of them in about the first 30 days. 
they could not handle it. I put them on my program and I said, oh, they'll be good with no grain whatsoever, all grass. I didn't give them any soybean holes, which is a major energy uh, source for them in the winter. And they hadn't been through a winter in years without it. And I didn't deworm. So, I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a mess. This year, that was three years ago. This year, I got 100 ewes. I haven't dewormed one, and I haven't lost any out of my lamb crop, which was 120, 130 lambs. Haven't lost one ewe and haven't lost one lamb to parasites. And three years going from half of them, almost half of them dropping dead, switching to my management. So regenerative can do that if we will get out of the way. I let nature kill them off, and then I kept the strong ones and bred. Most of the time, we're too weak to let nature do what she wants to do to heal us. Austin's pretty hardcore. <laughs> A lot of the other speakers here have like, had like, love in their heart emanating through their mouth, and he's just keeping it real. Um, okay, Gabby. I think a lot of people, I'm getting this sense from so many of you out in the audience that Monday, maybe you already shot over the email that you're quitting your job and you're like <laughs> going to be a part of this revolution, manage land, do something badass with your life and your legacy. Um, what's your advice for people who are like, shit, I don't know anything about farming, ranching, first generation, live in the city, but I want to do this. Where do I start? Where do I begin? How do I learn? Yeah, don't start too big. Don't go buy a farm. Um, <laughs> I'd say, you know, find, find a farm that has uh, internships or is willing to hire someone that, that doesn't have much experience on farms. Um, and then find organizations that you're aligned with that uh, do workshops and trainings, you know, like the Savory Institute. They have amazing workshops that teach you how to graze well and read the land well. Um, and there are a lot of um, uh, farmer training programs as well throughout the whole country where um, it can be a, a week-long, month-long, multi-year program where they follow your progress. And um, it's all about finding the right support at the right time. And um, whether it's a, you know, university education or or helping someone out once a week, I think you're going to get an idea if it's the type of work for you, if that's how you want to be involved in the regenerative ag movement. Um, and if it's not, if you don't want to be waking up at six every day to go milk some cows, well, five, <laughs> then there's so many facets that need to be filled in the regenerative ag world. Um, I was just talking to someone earlier that you know, is, is involved in ad advocacy and um, uh, trying to get um, policies and, and new, new regulations set for the advantage of rege regenerative small farmers. And uh, that's work that really needs to be done and it's work that I really don't want to do. And I just want to do what I'm good at. And, uh, and so that doesn't mean that everyone has to do something that maybe they're not good at. And so find, what, find where you fit in your, in your niche um, or in the re regenerative ag niche and, and let your, your talents shine that way. I know uh, both White Oak Pastures and Counterculture have internship programs, too. So to that point, don't buy a farm. Get some experience. Uh, our ranch hand, James, who's right here, he worked at White Oak Pastures before he came to us. He came in with an unbelievable skill set. So, um, Will, what does it mean to co-create 
alongside Mother Nature? What's your role as a land steward, as a rancher? Yeah, these gentlemen understood it very well that we, uh, and I'm speaking about livestock agriculture, which is what I do. The, uh, what we lost in uh, modern industrial confinement agriculture is the movement of the animal, animals across the landscape. That stellar performance he had, uh, I don't know his program, but I guarantee you he was moving those animals constantly or he would not have had that report to give. <clears throat> so really, uh, for a great part, our role is to replace the predator. The, the, the earth, the ecosystems were created by uh, large herds of herbivores, usually ruminants, being slowly chased across the landscape by predators. Uh, uh, hard impact on the land with a very long recovery time. This is what it's the way it evolved. That's that's what the, the cycles of nature work that way. And then we we change things up. And uh, when, when you go against evolution, it's like you you're gonna follow a recipe all except. For you know, you can make a cake and you keep the sugar out. That ain't a cake. So you know the the, the movement of the animals. Our role is to replace those uh, uh, predators. Uh, my, Jenny wouldn't let me say this if she, if she was here, but she ain't here. <laughs> the, you know, when we all the all the talk about uh, the COVID pandemic, and I'm. Horribly sorry for people that lost their loved ones or lives or health, but we were very cavalier about it, and probably and, and we came through it very well. 100 and, 180 employees, uh, no one hospitalization, and she lived on cigarettes and Red Bull. <laughs> so yeah, we. Uh, but the uh, uh, you know when we when, when we win that evolutionary stage with animals moving those predators you know what they ate the old ones the fat ones the ones with pre-existing conditions so you know, we we are you, you can't you can't replace nature and get the same crop so you guys are getting this vibe up here that the three of these amazing humans are very connected to death and i think that's one of the most special parts of being a part of a landscape and an ecosystem and working with live animals is you, you realize that the first breath in life is death. And, and Austin, I want you to speak a little bit about what that means to you and how, how you've connected to that process and, and how you perceive the transition into death. Uh, a second ago, Taylor said something about, uh, However, me not coming, me coming off hard or whatever, and, and basically I've never been a good sugar coater. You know, I see it very black and white, and there's a lot of hope in this place. Uh, I think that what I see a lot of when I watch the YouTube videos and all this other stuff, encouraging people to get their farms, which is amazing message. Do it, don't do it, whatever. But we don't talk very much about the amount of death that you're going to see, and when you go into this, you're terrible at it because you've been living in the city your whole life or just very disconnected from the land and uh you know death is so negative in our minds but 
it's just another cultivator for life in nature. It, it just continues the cycle on of more life in nature. And um, I forget who was talking about it, but using, uh, I guess it was Will, uh, using the leftovers from the abattoir to spread back onto the land after he composted them. That's what nature did. They left the remains there for the land for it to become one with it. And we've removed that. And that's a big missing link in the pastures where we're not seeing rejuvenation and regeneration is we've taken away one of the missing links. Um, and so getting more comfortable with death is something that I think we're missing as an American culture. Um, the second somebody dies in a wreck, I don't think we need to leave the body over there, but we are quick to clean up, put it in a box and move it on and not look at it anymore. And whenever you're out there and you're the one who bought the land and bought the animals and you're picking up dead goat babies, lambs, cows, whatever it is, it gets real, real quick. And, you know, there's nothing more sobering than that because you realize what we're all a part of and that this big cycle that we've kind of been disillusioned by and, you know, we all, most of us grew up in school and we've been socially conditioned, like Zach said, um, we need to uncondition ourselves and death is a big part of that. So I, I encourage you to, uh, whether it's going with Rome Ranch or somebody that you can go out, a local farmer, that you can go and harvest some of your own food, go hunting, go figure out a way to be a part of the death in a positive way and take the life with your own hands, cry, hug the animal, put your face on it and be thankful for the life that it gave you. We just ate steaks from a beautiful animal that gave its life so that we could have some nutrients because we can't get the nutrients from the grass like they can. And so if there's one takeaway from this long drawn out explanation is that you need to be more connected with death but do it in a positive way before you jump out there and you're picking up the dead animals because it really is a positive thing because we are all getting recycled and the energy and the life that's in each of us and the sunshine that we've talked so much about, it's just recycling over and over and over again and we need to be a part of it. Okay, what, ha what happens after death is decay, right? Who wants to... Talk about decay and the importance of that in an ecosystem. Well, to go off of not quite decay, but with your, you do your, your bison kills, your, your, what do you call them? Field kills. Yeah. Um, which is amazing um, for the consumers to, to bridge that gap for themselves and make them think about um, their food more. Um, I have a funny story. So in college, I had a, a flock of chickens. And when one chicken was getting old or she was picking on the other chickens or we had too many, um, we'd, we'd cook her for stew. And uh, friends started saying, like, hey, the next time you kill a chicken, I want to come by and I want to, like, see that process. And, and so it became a, a thing. We would invite people over and have a whole party. And it was like a little mini Rome ranch in my college house. <laughs> and... And we had this one guy there one day, and um, uh, this, this girl was crying about it. She, she wanted it to happen. She wanted to be there, but it was very emotional for her. And, uh, and this guy was like, why do you have to do this? Why can't you just go to the grocery store and do it the humane way? And I was like, this is, <laughs> you sit here and listen to me. And uh, I'm sure that he thinks about his food differently. 
after that day and all those other people there. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode of Where Hope Grows. Now, this podcast is made possible by force of nature. You know, if you take one thing, one lesson alone from this, it might be don't be the guy who shows up to Gobby's party and says, I think we should buy meat from the grocery store. It's way more humane. So if you don't want to be that guy, if you want to connect with your meat and ensure that you're sourcing animals that nourish your body, nourish the land, nourish their own innate spirit, then head over to forceofnature.com and we can ship regeneratively sourced meats anywhere in the continental United States. That's forceofnature.com. And now back to our show. You know, birth, growth, death, decay. Yeah, that kind of says it all. <clears throat> you reference the fact that we we slaughter uh, about 100 cows a week and 40 hogs and 40 sheep and poultry. And that generates about nine tons of what the industry refers to as packing plant waste. Nine tons a day, five days a week, 50, 50 weeks a year. And, uh, and you know, to call it waste is... Uh, is uh, it's wrong. It's a it's a nutrient stream, and we compost it and and put it back out. And you just move. When I was an industrial cattleman, you know, I fed corn to cattle, and now I feel like I feed microbes in the soil that feed the plants that feed the cattle. Much more, much more natural. Much, uh, yeah. You know, I tell I tell people that <clears throat> everything that's ever lived dies. Sequoias, I mean, all of it, they're just going to die. And every bit of nutrition that every living creature takes in is something that used to be alive. An asparagus or a cow, I don't mind, used to be alive. And in a healthy ecosystem, whatever dies, don't stay dead long because it becomes part of that, that system. And that makes you feel a little better about dying. Okay, uh, before we open it up to you guys in the audience, think of some good questions. I want to know um, from each of you, what is, the, what is the legacy that you hope to leave behind when you have died and decayed and moved on to the next birth process? What, what do you want people to remember you by? When I was talking about dying, I was talking about you mortals. <laughs> That was heavy. I guess I'm up first. <laughs> you know, a lot on my farm, I see uh, the life and the regeneration and all that. And it kind of hit me yesterday when Will goes, yeah, and uh, pr here pretty soon, we're going to have one of these generations after me that's going to screw it all up and you're going to lose the farm. And, you know, either they're going to turn it into trash, even if it stays in the family or However, you know, there's a constant cycle going on here and chances are all this hard work that we're putting in, um, at some point, someone will mess it up. Uh, you know, there's not um, a dynasty that's still going on. They've all crumbled at some point. 
I think that what I want is that people are going to see me and know that I cared more than I should. Uh, I think it rubs a lot of people wrong, and um, sometimes it rubs me wrong, and I wish I didn't care sometimes that I could just let things lie and let it be. But there's one thing that I know that whenever I do die and I'm gone is that I care so much that it hurts, and I got more fight in me than most. And then I want to see that as a spark for other people to fight more and whatever it's going to be. And I'll, I'll leave it with this. I say often that it's not the size of the dog. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And I got a hell of a lot of fight in me. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm going to live a meaningful life, I'd say that I would be leaving behind a community that is fed and nourished and sustained by the work that I've done and a herd that's healthy and land that will continue to support that herd and that community. And that land will be so appetizing for my children to stay and not run away to the city. I don't, I don't sound so noble. I feel like lying. <laughs> I, I, just want, I just want my grandchildren to say, that son bitch pushed that ball as far down the field as it could have been pushed. <laughs> okay, now you beautiful people, here's your chance. You have 20 minutes to ask some amazing question. Katie, you ready to... Who's first? Oh, Katie. Katie, Katie. Mom's trying to get me to ask her question, too. <laughs> Mine is really for any of you guys on the panel, or all, uh, what practical and tactical advice can you give for the already convinced, quote unquote, rancher looking to make a change to regenerative from conventional when dependent on the revenue of the current operation? First question. <laughs> second, second is if any of you guys are dealing with any wild hog, feral hog uh, problems and how you're dealing with that. Well, the wild hog thing, um not dealing with it. I mean, we're all just kind of suffering their wrath. Uh, the, I think Force of Nature is doing a pretty cool thing that they're actually eating them and feeding them to people. I try to trap some and take them to a guy who takes them to a processor, but I mean, it is no, by no means even putting a dent in the numbers. So uh, I'm trying to figure that one out too. Uh, but the first one, I'd say take the next step, uh, cover crops, you know, something that will let you see. But I'd say the biggest thing, if you've got cows already, is start moving them because that's going to do nothing but enhance the production you already have going on. You want to double the amount of cows you can put on your land right now without buying any more land or doing anything? String up some hot wire and let the ground rest behind them, and you can double the amount of cows that you have on that acreage without a penny. I mean, besides the hot wire cost and some dude going out there and moving them. That's pretty simple.
Great question. Okay, next. Don't be intimidating. Elizabeth. So we've heard this quite a bit about our conundrum that we have, that we all are blessed enough to be able to eat this way, and yet we know there's a population that even though, you know, we've made a, some progress, how they can get on board and be able to afford this as well, or find it, or, you know, all the, it's, it's a huge problem, and I've never heard a, a solution I can sink my teeth into. Let me have that one. Now, that's a real passion of mine. Uh, you know, we have uh, people visit the farm a lot, and they're, they're, you know, they're people, good people that came there because they got that interest, and we, we very seldom have an asshole. And, and they, they always say really nice things, and we appreciate hearing it. But about a high percentage of the time, it goes like this, and the last part really wounds me. They'll say, uh, oh, I really appreciate what you're doing. I like what you're doing for the land and for the animals and for the local community, but what can you do to get it in the hands of the poor people that, that really need it? And it just flies all over me. You're taking two of the worst problems humanity has faced in modern times, which is a broken food supply and wealth disparity. Either one of which is super difficult to fix. And you just put the two together and handed it to me to fix. And it just pisses me off. So my, my, my response is, I agree with you. That is a tremendous problem. I'd love for everybody to be able to eat good food like we produce. But you handle that part about getting it to them. I got all I can do with this fixing the broke food system. This whole economic disparity thing is not in my wellhouse wheelhouse. You, you handle that part. And, and you, we'll never fix it if we try to put the two complex problems together. You got to divide and conquer. That's all I got to say about that. Oh, yeah. This is going to be a hard question. This guy's real smart. No, I thought, I thought I'd just get an update. Uh, from the things you've learned in the past, I don't know, decade or so, uh, going from that barren field that you started with, what do you see as the fastest way to regenerate the land, you know, as opposed from, you know, dumping a bunch of compost on the field or something really expensive. Uh, I guess what strategies are most cost effective that you, looking back you think would have helped you the most? I think it's similar to what Austin just said of, of moving animals quickly and letting rest happen and in the right time. Not too long, not too short. Yeah, those old, I know what you're talking about. He's talking about these old farm fields, these fields with tons of bare soil. So if you acquire one of those fields, especially in a, a semi-brittle environment like Central Texas, where do you start? So, no matter, you know, all the ecosystems are different. The fundamentals are the same. 
The fundamentals in Bismarck, North Dakota, and Bluffton, Georgia are the same. The ecosystems are very different. You got to learn the fundamentals and you got to use those fundamentals that you learned to restart the cycles of nature. That's, that's just what's got to happen. The difference in a, in a dead soil and a living soil and a regenerating soil is the extent to which the cycles of nature are operating properly. So, and, you know, to, to have somebody prescriptively say how you do that across the board, don't buy that book. You got to, you, you've got to understand that those ecosystems and, and repair them. So if your goal, if you're not ready for cattle, sheep, goats, bison, but you want to cover that bare soil, what's something that you can do? He said, compost, is that cost effective over, let's say, a hundred acre field? Where would you start? I'd start with buying some animals and start putting them out there because that's what nature does. So you mimic nature, just like they said, but it's real simple. It's like what Ray uh, talked about today or yesterday about he's traveled all states across the entire nation. And what are they all saying? The same damn thing. It's too dry. It's too wet. It's too cold. It's too hot. It's your mentality. And I told Lay this earlier. She said, well, I can't do that or something. I said, that's the problem. I can't. My mentality is I can. When you change that, it doesn't matter. I mean, you're, you're golden from here on out because you're going to figure out the solution to the problem and you have the answers already. You just need to open up your eyes and look at nature. Okay, did you guys just hear what happened? Now, as a unbiased moderator, I'm trying to give these panelists the chance, the opportunity, the second chance, the third chance to answer the question from the audience, which was, what is the fastest thing, the, the quickest way that I can restore degraded land? Where do I begin? And every single panelist highlighted the unbelievable innate power of properly managed grazing animals. They are the key. They are the pillar to how Mother Nature works and how natural ecosystems have evolved. Without animals grazing on landscapes in a proper way, land can never heal. It will always be degraded. This is the first step, is to look into Mother Nature for her wisdom, ask for her guidance, receive her grace, and celebrate the remarkable healing capacity of animals grazing on pasture as they have for millennia. Okay, someone else. In the back, we got a couple hands in the back. So related to the conversation about building a relationship to the life cycle, as you were doing that, how did you determine what was natural and what you needed to trust? And what was really feedback about your farming process? And um, maybe just, you know, like how did you decide if this was mother nature doing the right thing or you sort of lacking in some way in your farming practice? I guess the last sentence was the answer to your question is that mother nature was doing something and showing me that I was doing something wrong. The dead animal is showing that I've either uh, lacked in my management, which is most of the time the problem, or the soil's lacking, which means my management needs to get better to help heal the soil. But anytime you have a dead animal out there, you are being taught something. Um, 
when nature kills, it's normally for a reason. And think about the massive herds. Like Will said, the weakest ones are getting eaten. And we just stopped doing that. So there's a lot of weak animals out there to kill. It sounds harsh, but that's what Mother Nature's doing is she's strengthening the whole herd by getting rid of the weak. And we're the ones with the twisted perspective. So I'd say maybe just uh, change the perspective on it that it's not necessarily a terrible thing when something dies. It's more, uh, this is the cycle that we've been put into and you can either learn from it and try to figure out, or you can continue bottle feeding the weak. And <laughs> it's sad to me how many people bottle feed animals and then keep the progeny. I'm cool with bottle feeding. If you want to get that animal healthy and then eat it, so that you don't lose your your uh, profit or, or your um, money that you put into the animal. But so many people get attached to the weak animals because they've given so much care and life to them. Then what do they do? Well, that's Susie now, and that's my favorite cow because I've had her since she was a baby, and now she'll walk behind me like a damn dog. And now I kept Susie's bull, and I bred the worst genetics in my whole herd back. So simply learn from death and learn to cull. I think I figured it out. Austin says kill. <laughs> and I think there's more eloquent way of saying it. I say transition into death. That sounds like we're black on the same and white, vibe, right? It's like more. You know, you know, Mother Nature, Mother Nature bats last. You know, she, 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 she's powerful. She's opinionated. She's beautiful. She ain't kind. She ain't cruel. But she's powerful, and she wins, and, she, and, and, and it's beautiful. I'm California. <laughs> and Montana. Um, so as far as what we could do, I just had some ideas from Northern California. Um, my parents and my sister go into the elementary schools, and they bring their animals, and they do an ag in the class. Because these kids live around the farms, and they have no idea. What, what they're eating, how it was raised. We ate Betsy, we killed her and ate her. <laughs> um, and when they learn that this pencil, my shoes, my belt, the car, the sidewalk, like it's a different way to appreciate the byproducts of, of a cow. But um, so that's one thing everybody could do is make sure that the classrooms are getting that real life show and tell and learning to appreciate animals from from little ages, not the textbook style, but real animals in there. The other thing is, uh, there's a woman in the Bay Area called the Lemon Lady, and she goes around and she will go harvest like the fruit trees that nobody's picking and take them to the food banks so that the food banks get the real organic food that's just sitting in everybody's backyard, not getting picked and dropping on the soil. That's something that everybody could do. And another thing is the schools. The school's food sucks. And if you're going to go anywhere and make a difference, um, being an advocate that real food makes its way into schools, there's a program called Seneca in the Bay Area that takes kids that have been through multiple orphanages, didn't, didn't make it in the regular school system. And so they created these schools for them to graduate. And they feed them organic. Um, local food 
And it, they say whether or not it's making them better and smarter, it's making them feel loved and uh, important. So those are just some ideas I share. Wonderful. Um, okay, we got a guy over here. I met him up here. He drove from California. The hell? With some of his buddies. So he deserves to ask a question. You all do, but we're limited time. Thank you. Um, my question is, if you're healing degraded land, if you put the animals right on there, how soon would you start to stack the different species to add more of an impact, you know, different manure, different other stuff to that land without doing too much of an impact right away? When you can, oh, when you can do the first species right. Damn. <laughs> Very precise. I love that. Robbie, you need to take notes on that right there. Um, okay, I'm going to butcher your name. I, I think I, I'm like visualizing it. It's Sinke, but that doesn't make any sense. Oh, that's how you say your name. Okay, shit. Sinke. Sinke. This guy drove from Colorado. Yeah, 303. Uh, I had a question. When you get to the real hard days, what do you guys do to keep going? I think you should all answer that. I'm so far in, I can't do anything but keep going. <laughs> Go to the bank and sign another note. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you go back to gratitude as hard as, as it is. And you know that the days are going to get better. And you know that it's not going to be muddy February forever. And... And the, the spring is gonna come and it's gonna it's gonna get better. You just and and you're you are grateful for the work and and everything you've been given. And it's really hard to do that when it's when you're having a hard day, but it does get better. Get back up. Plenty of quitters in the world, don't be one of them. Love it. Okay, we have maybe time for one or two more. One more. There's a nice lady in the front who wants to ask a question. Look at this. This is called manspreading. Y'all ever heard of that? <laughs> pretty disrespectful. Hi, guys and gal. Um, I'm a functional medicine practitioner, and I've been pretty active in the regenerative agriculture world for the last you know, seven, eight years now. And I feel, you know, for us healthcare practitioners to understand what you all are doing, it's one of our duties as the healthcare practitioners to teach our patients and teach consumers about the amazing health benefits and really work at changing this narrative around meat being bad for us, right? So I would love to hear from you guys any stories, like favorite stories you have from your customers about their healing experience from eating your type of food? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've had uh, customers that were super anemic, vegan, and um, knew, knew the practices on our farm and, and were okay with starting to eat meat because they knew that we were grass-fed, you know, animal welfare was high. And, um, but what made them switch was we also do like a live animal, like a lamb, lamb roast uh, a couple times a year. 
and they came for the whole thing and saw where like, I pointed out where it was born and told her the whole thing. And so she was able to eat it. And then she came back about six months later and was just a totally different person. So that's, that's what you do it for. Yeah. Any other special moments you guys keep thinking? I, uh, we do a Thanksgiving turkey harvest at our ranch where families come together. It's multiple generations. It's grandma, mom, little kids. And we give the family the knife and they cut the throat themselves. And it's that experience. I mean, we've, there's a gentleman here who came to one of those events. Where are you? Yes. This is the testament, man. His daughter was freaked out. Beautiful little girl, but very mindful, very aware, very present, very scared. And she started drinking the turkey blood unprompted everyone's like holy shit what is happening right now it, epigenetics switched and and this girl is just incredible and to get it that young and she's i was told she's just like keeps telling the story of that this family is never ever gonna buy a store-bought turkey ever again this is the gold standard it changed her life it changed her trajectory so thanks for sharing that I'm at the farmer's market most every week, so I get all kinds of random people coming back. You know, they can tell the difference between this and the store, but one that always impresses me is the gut issues and skin issues after they eat meat and Crohn's and uh, leaky gut. And I mean, gosh, I don't know, all the stuff that people have issues with. There's a long list. And normally they come and try my meat, and I'm like, hey, man, I have a bunch of people tell me they have XYZ. They haven't eaten meat in years because it messes them up. I said, just try a pound and uh you know come back and let me know and anyways they always come back and they're like we can eat it and that's mind-blowing to me because i've yet to have someone come back and tell me that they can't eat it with whatever issue that they had from eating meat in the past that's pretty impressive so uh i don't i don't want to be disingenuous here hey uh 20-something years ago, a 30-something-year-old Will Harris didn't walk outside and say, I believe the climate is changing, and I think I can mitigate that by changing the way I raise my cattle. That didn't happen. It didn't work like that. And nor did I walk outside and say, I see a lot of sick people around. I believe I can cure them by raising my animals different. That, that didn't happen either. You know, whereas many of you are here from the uh, nu nutritional perspective or many other perspectives, everybody's got their own. Uh, it was all about the land and the animals for me and community. Uh, so I, 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 I make it real clear to all our people, do not market our product based on health and nutrition attributes. I believe they're there, but we farmers sound stupid saying, well, the omega-3s and omega-6s are not. Unless you got the data like Gabe Brown. Well, Gabe Brown, you know. <laughs> He's the best friend I got on the earth. Uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I tell my people, do not market our product based on culinary attributes. We sound stupid. Do not market our product. All these things that I believe are true 
health and eco services that this kind of farming contributes to is good. I'm, I'm proud of it. But I don't want to be the guy that talks about that. You know, we are experts in animal welfare, regenerative land management, and rural community building. And I can sit before the CEO of Tyson or Smithville or any of them and have that debate. But I'm not going to let them lead me out on that limb of health and nutrition and climate change. I, I believe in all that stuff. But there are people that can speak with a more authoritative voice than me on all those attributes. You, you, want, you, you people want to know how you can help. Those of you who have ex expertise in those areas, you'll be our voice. Okay, what a wonderful panel. Thank you guys, thank you for your love and commitment and uh, blessing this planet. Wow, what an incredible episode. I felt so fired up being on stage with that group of superhumans. And I feel so fired up after re-listening to that. Doesn't it feel like people who have an intimate relationship with the land and the animals on which we depend have some kind of innate wisdom that's so profound and deep and simple? I think it's just because they're more connected to the natural rhythm of the world. And they're more connected to what it means to be human and to be another organism that's co-participating and co-creating, co-collaborating on this beautiful planet that we call home. So on behalf of all of us, I want to give a special shout out and an extra thanks to all the ranchers, all the farmers, and all the land stewards who are carrying the torch. Specifically, I want to call out my good friends, Will Harris, who without Will Harris, honestly, Katie and I never would have gotten into agriculture. So thank you, Will. Thank you, Austin Dillon. This young man is an absolute up and comer in the regenerative agriculture community. He hails from Texas. I just love his passion and his spirit. And uh, we need to work on his bluntness with the killing this, killing that. But you get the point. This guy is just absolutely on fire when it comes to life. And I'd also love to thank Gabby Hathaway. I mean, her sweet spirit and soul was a amazing balance to these dominant alpha males on this panel. And so thank you, Gabby. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your creativity and your own learnings from a journey that I admire. If you feel inclined to support some of these ranchers, specifically that were on this panel, look up whiteoakpastures.com. That's Will Harris's place. And then you can look up Counterculture Beef, which is Austin Dillon's ranch. And while those guys sell some of the best beef, lamb, and goat on the planet, if your palate is salivating for bison, wild boar, venison, elk, then head over to forceofnature.com. Force of Nature is the proud sponsor of this podcast, the curator of this brilliant conference that we just heard this very panel from. And so that's forceofnature.com. Vote with your dollars for a regenerative system. You guys are a big part of this solution. Support ranchers like Will, Austin, and Gabby. If you didn't get the memo, it's pretty freaking important because these guys are out there every day busting their ass 
And you, the consumer, has all the power to support that system, to support that rural economy and these families that are curating food, healing ecosystems, and treating animals with the utmost respect for their sentience. Oh, and if I may ask one other thing of you, it would mean the world to me if you could subscribe to this podcast or give it a five-star rating. Show your support would really help us accelerate the message and reach more people and inspire more positive change. So this is Taylor Collins. You're listening to Where Hope Grows, and I'm signing out. Until next time.